And as I said last week, for those of you who weren't here, um, what we're trying to do on Sundays is preach wide enough so that those who are new to Christianity, people who've never been to church before, can understand, but deep enough so that people who've been walking with the Lord a long time get something from it too. Because this is like this is the place where we all gather. For those who want to go deeper and deeper, we are running the Truth Project every Saturday. And we're also looking at other opportunities. Um, at the moment, there's early discussions about Bible schools and all sorts of stuff. I started to chew over with uh, one or two people. We've got great Bible teachers here like Steve Parker and Jim and others. So we, we are going to look at opportunities to go deep, deep. But on Sundays, we're trying to go wide enough for everyone and deep enough for everyone as well, which is a hard balance. But we're trying to keep this super practical. Jesus' method was to do that. He... Um, You'll notice Jesus told a lot of stories. He also used a lot of humour. Um, Jesus um, didn't go technical on, on, on the book of the law. He would sort of confront people where their hearts are at, which is very interesting, because often you'll find Christians saying, when are we going to get into the deep truths of the Scriptures? Um, but Jesus would say things like, we'll give you possessions to the poor, love your enemy, bless those who persecute you. So he'd go to the heart, which is what we're trying to do here. Um, but in a way that challenges and blesses everyone. And it's a tricky subject today. Um, I was just talking to Laurie Fletcher, literally moments before the subject started, uh, the, the morning started, and, and, he's, and he was talking about the miners' strikes. And he said, when you're on the picket line, he said, people would be shouting, Judas, at people crossing the picket line. And Laurie said, why would I be saying that to me, mates? You know, why, it's just a, such a tough thing to say. But isn't it interesting that of all the names in history associated with betrayal, it's Judas. Even people who don't follow the Lord, don't read their Bibles, if you're a Judas, you're a betrayer. And this is the bloke that we're looking at today. And it's fascinating, really. Jesus picked 12 blokes to walk with him in his short years of ministry on earth, and he knew from the prophecies, and we haven't got time to go into them today, but there were prophecies that he would be betrayed, and there would be one who would betray him, in Zechariah, and David spoke of it, and very, very interesting. But this is it, Judas. Twelve men, one of them's there, through all of Jesus' ministry. It means he would have seen all of Jesus' miracles, He would have witnessed Jesus' compassion. He heard Jesus' teaching over and over and over again. And he was a personal friend of Jesus. Walked with him up close and personal. And he still did his legs and stabbed him in the back, which is fascinating. And in fact, in Matthew 26, verse 15, actually I read from verse 14, it says this. One of the twelve, named Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What are you willing to give me to betray him to you? And they weighed out 30 pieces of silver to him. And then it says, From then on, he, that's Judas, began looking for a good opportunity to betray Jesus. That was the price that Judas friend of Jesus until that point, put on him. 30 pieces 
of silver. It's significant because for 30 pieces of silver in the Roman world, you could buy a slave. The, the pinnacle of achievement in the Roman world was to have as much time to yourself as you could to live a life of pleasure. And the way you get to lead a life of pleasure is to buy a slave to do all your stuff for you. Judas betrayed his mate for the price of a slave. I find that really interesting. It just shows to me how easily the human heart can be corrupted. I say it again. He watched him teach. He watched him heal people. He ate with him, drank with him, saw profound breakthroughs and then betrayed him for the price of a slave. It shows just how corrupt the human heart can be. And we're going to read this account now in Matthew 26. Now, John's account, actually, in John 18, is a little bit fuller. So as I read this, I think it would be good to have John's account in the back of your mind. In John's account, it says that Jesus was arrested by a cohort of soldiers, which is about 600 Roman soldiers. I would argue that's quite a lot for a small group of men. Uh, it's the, just the Lord. And, um, but also there were temple guards, chief priests, scribes and elders. And, and academics and Bible scholars say there was potentially between 800 to 1,000 people went to nick Jesus. That is huge. You know, now, either they were terrified of him or they thought it was all going to kick off. And we do know that the disciples are armed as well because Peter kicks off, as you'll find out. But it's just a small group of people. So, oh, and the other interesting thing is in John's account, it says, um, and read it later when you get home because it's a very interesting comparison. If you go through the gospel, sometimes you get, you get the full picture when you read the different accounts. But in John's gospel, it says, when they asked who the Lord was, and Jesus said, it's me. They all fell to the ground. So like, that's fascinating. You know, so he clearly had this huge reputation by this point. You know, a thousand soldiers and those nearest fell to the ground when they said, it's me. Now, you don't pick that up in Matthew's account. But in John's account, actually, uh, it's at that point they fell to the ground. And then Peter gets his sword out and chops, chops the servant's ear off why they're falling to the ground. So it may be not quite as courageous as it seemed. It's like, oh, they've fallen over. Speak again, Jesus, and more of you fall over, and then we'll get stuck in. Uh, but Matthew's account doesn't quite carry that. So it's a different, different flavor here. But let me read it. This is uh, verse 47 of Matthew 26. While he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, came up and accompanied by a large crowd with swords and clubs, he came from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now he who was betraying him gave them a sign saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one, seize him. Immediately, Judas went to Jesus and said, Hail, Rabbi, and kissed him. And Jesus said to him, Friend, still called him friend, do what you've come for. And then they came and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus reached and drew out his sword and struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to him, put your sword back in its place. For all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. Or do you th think 
that I can appeal to my father and he will at once, at my disposal, put more than 12 legions of angels. How then will the scriptures be fulfilled which say that it must happen this way? At that time, Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me as you would against a robber? Every day I used to sit in the temple teaching you didn't seize me. But all this has happened to take place all this has taken place to fulfill the scriptures of the prophets. Then all the disciples left him and fled. Basically, you're on your own, pal. And so we'll read on when Andy and others and um continue the, the series. But I'm gonna really particularly focus on this bit. And there's two things, practically, that I want to talk about. One is, how do you handle your life when you have been betrayed? Because I think we see something beautiful here in Jesus, still calling Judas friend. I want to talk very practically about that. The second thing I want to talk about, and it sounds like this is going to take about two hours, but it won't. I promise. Is how do you not become a Judas? That's really important because the human heart can be corrupted so easily. Now, there is a proverb which I think is one of the most important proverbs in the Bible, which says, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. From your heart comes all sorts of carnage. Now, Peter is amazing here. He chops off Malchus's ear and says, get the fuller account by reading the other Gospels. Now, if you're in front of 800 to 1,000 soldiers and priests and people armed with clubs and swords, and there's just 12 of you, drawing a sword is arguably quite a dangerous thing to do, I would suggest. Many of us here would not do that down Corporation Street on a Friday night, surrounded by a mob. I was once threatened in Corporation Street. Actually, I just got off a train. I was wearing a suit. It was about midnight. I've been in London working. And, um, you know, I'm quite wide, I think. And I sound like an Essex gangster. So normally I can sort of get my way out of trouble. But I was followed into the minicab office by a horde of young men who accused me of chatting up his girlfriend in a nightclub. And I said, no, that clearly wasn't me. And he went, hey, it clearly wasn't you. And I went, no, it clearly wasn't. And he said, your life's on the line, pal. Now, at this moment, the, the minicab office guy went behind the door and hid behind the glass. And two other people in the office walked out. I stood alone against a mob of drunken and potentially slightly high young ruffians. And um, I said, um, no, honestly, I have just got off a train from London. Just go and train in London? You've been messing my girlfriend. No, no, clearly I haven't. I said, I'm going to show you my ticket. And actually, thankfully, I never normally pick up my ticket off the table, but I picked my ticket off the table, put it in my suit pocket, and I showed him, and he went, he went, that ticket just saved your life. <laughs> I went, thank you very much. And then when my cab pulled up, they were all waiting outside, and I got in the cab, and, went, and he opened the door for me, he went, in you go. He said, nice to meet you, fella. I thought, how weird is this? One minute, you wanted to kill me. Anyway. The point being that in that situation, I was not going to defend myself. I was planning to run the fastest 800 metres I'd ever run because I think I was going to get beaten up. 
And thankfully, I kept my train ticket. Peter, taking on all those guys, is hugely courageous. But just moments, days later, he denied Jesus. How amazing is that? One minute, he's, he's like loyal. He's on the front foot of God's purposes. Draws his sword to protect his master. Next minute, he's done a runner. And as you'll find out, I think Andy Kind is going to be preaching on Peter's denials. Just a short while later, he's denied him. How easy is it for all of us, for the human heart to go hard or cold? Guard your heart. It's the wellspring of life. One thing that Karen and I have learned every years now of pastoral ministry and leading organisations, people can be fickle. People are changeable. I am too. One minute you can be steady. The next minute you lost it. It's so important to keep your heart in what I call a sweet place. Now, we need to be realistic about this. What I mean about being in a sweet place is living, giving people the benefit of the doubt, believing the best. And I'm going to unpack that a little bit later. But we need to be realistic. We all of us will have, on occasion, what I would call diva moments. I have diva moments. In recent months, I've had diva moments where I do become a proper diva. I want to throw my toys out the pram. Um, now, this may surprise you, but it actually happens. Um, mostly, it's contained, and no one gets to see it, but my poor wife. And generally, what happens is that when I'm having a diva moment, when I'm upset about something, Karen says something around, look, I'm paraphrasing, but just got to sort your life out, really. <laughs> and um, I tend to put myself in the corner and give myself a talking to and get my heart back in a sweet place. And I'll tell you how I do that. I remember that I'm saved. Simple as that. I remember that my saviour died for me. He had the utter right to have the hump and didn't. He just kept forgiving. Went to a cross loving everyone. Everyone abandoned him. And he still kept loving. So when I'm having a diva moment, I should remember my saviour. And it tends to sort my head out. In fact, in my notes here, it's the first time I've ever used an emoji next to, next to I've written diva moment. I, I, I preach off bullet points. And I've written diva moment. I've got a crying, laughing face. Because actually, I amuse myself with my diva moments. Um, and when I throw my toys out the pan, I proper do it. I'm like, I'm quitting. I've had enough. I'm going I'm to become a fisherman in Whitby. That's, I'm going to be a, my fantasy job is a long distance lorry driver. It is. It's my fantasy job. Whenever it's all crowding in on me, my dream job is to get in a truck and drive it to Africa and talk to no one and then drop off my load and then go back and then take one to India and be completely on my own because I get all peopled out and stressed. 
and it's all crowding in on me. And I know the Lord is never going to allow me to be a long-distance lorry driver because it comes out of being a diva. And it's nothing pure or noble in that at all. It's because I want to escape. But then I remember, my saviour didn't escape. He saw the mission through. And he gave second chances and third chances and fourth chances to people. Keep your heart in a sweet place. It's so easy for your heart to get corrupted. Guard your heart. If you find yourself getting cynical, bitter, angry, chewed up, means your heart's not in a good place. I've learned, I mean, I've been walking with the Lord now, not as long as some of you, but nearly 30 years. And for the first time in my life, you know, we talk about being in the flesh and being in the spirit as Christians. The flesh is a sinful desire. The spirit is walking with the Lord. The first time in my life, I've acutely known when I've been in the flesh and when God is pleased with me. I've felt it. The weird thing is that when you're in the flesh, when you're being sinful and bitter and weird and twisted, it can actually feel quite good for a short time. If you feed it, it will take you to a place you don't want to go. It will chew you up. You sometimes see it on some people's faces. You can see bitterness on people's faces, can't you? You can in their demeanour. Just keep your heart in a sweet place. Number two, the church has never advanced by the sword. So the sword gets drawn and Jesus says, verse 52, put your sword back in its place for all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. The world may come at us with clubs and swords, but Christians, people of the kingdom, followers of Jesus Christ, we fight with love, sacrifice, grace and forgiveness. When Jesus exercised power, he did it with nails through his wrists and feet. He didn't exercise power any other way. The fascinating thing, Matthew 26, 53, which read it, Jesus could have called on 12 legions of angels at any time. Now, that's a lot of firepower. I'm telling you, in Isaiah 37, verse 36 to be precise, one angel obliterated 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. I mean, this is this nuclear option, isn't it? Jesus could have called on a legion with 6,000 soldiers. So I've calculated, because I've got GCSE maths, I've calculated that is 72,000 angels. I forgot to do the maths, how many people that could wipe out. But one angel takes out 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. What Jesus is saying is, you may be a little cohort of people, 800 Roman soldiers, very impressive. Very impressive. One of my guys, he could take out, he could take out Ireland. I said that because I saw you. So he's sitting there. He could. Yeah, come on, mate. So, in other words, Jesus had a little bit of power on his side. He had the host of heaven. But here's the thing. He didn't call on them. Put it in perspective. If it was me, and I had 72,000 angels on my side, I might, I might have done. I think I would have called on them. Same bad boys, check me out. 
Oh, you go, called him in. But the Lord didn't. All the way to the cross. And he could have cut himself down at any time. I find that utterly astonishing. How amazing. Didn't defend himself. It's incredible. So here's the thing. If you find yourself in a place where you've been betrayed, and probably more than 50% of people here have felt like that, maybe everybody, to a greater or lesser degree. If you've ever been defamed, betrayed, slandered, attacked, ghosted, whatever. Do you know what you do as a Christian? As a follower of Jesus Christ, you don't attack back. You don't charge around the place. You stay in a place of grace. You don't go on the war path. You don't do that. Your faith, my belief is, your faith is being proved in these times. Maybe you're being tested to be seen what you can be trusted with. Maybe your character and your inner strength is taking a bit of a bruising so you can be rebuilt up, fashioned for something more, or just because you needed the Lord's discipline. Maybe you're learning how to be dependent on God. It's tough. No, no denying it. You know, it's like you hear someone saying something about you and it's a lie or you read something about yourself or, or Facebook. Oh my gosh. People see things on Facebook or social media. Do not attack back. Exodus 14.14. 14. Verses I've tried to live my life by. Very much so. Says, be silent. The Lord will fight for you. So here's my thing. Give it to heaven. Don't take it upon yourself. Because if you're walking in the light, if you're walking on a narrow path, according to Matthew 7, you don't need to flap and panic. God's got you. And his peace will be with you. You may need to vent and have the odd diva moment. There may be times when things got on top of you. But you do not attack back, just like the Lord didn't. He still called Judas friend. That is incredible, isn't it? It is the way to peace. Next point. When you feel like you're being betrayed, stay gracious to everybody. The last recorded miracle of Jesus is healing the servant's ear that got cut off. That's the last recorded miracle of Jesus. Uh, I, I find, again, I find that just amazing. He's not fighting back. He's just being a man of peace and grace. And verses, which those of you who know me well, will know that they are amongst my favourite verses in the Bible. Um, like Romans 12, 9 to 20. To me, these are verses that I read at least once a week are so beautiful. And it simply says this. This is, this is the way to grace. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Give preference to one another in honour. Not lagging in diligence. Fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope. 
persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and don't curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind towards one another. Don't be haughty in mind, associate with the lowly. Don't be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take revenge, but leave room for the wrath of God. And so it goes on. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Live like that, and you will find a place of peace. And everything's kicking off around you. Stay gracious and live by the book. Next point. Do not shut yourself off from people who might have done you in or hurt you. I've come across a lot of people over the years who have not spoken to family members for years. I've even been in church situations, shock horror, where people stop talking to each other, sitting in the congregation, taking communion together. It's not on. As far as it depends on you, there'll be situations you find yourself in that you can't extract yourself out of, but don't shut yourself off and never say never to reconciliation. Ever. No matter what. We have to believe because of the cross and resurrection, that all things can be restored. So as far as it depends on you, leave lines of communication open, even if it hurts. Now, for me, one of the greatest, and I'm bearing mind I'm being recorded, so I might need to edit this bit. But for me, one of the greatest challenges in the kingdom is your family. It's hard, isn't it? They find... Is that just me? Like, family's proper hard, isn't it? Like, I'm not, can I just say now, I'm not talking about my wife and kids who are all sitting here in different places. Why is that? Um, is that has anything happened? No. Um, it, I'm talking about wider family, like people you don't see that often. And everyone seems to have an uncle that winds everyone up. And I'm probably that uncle to someone else. True fact. And, you know, or granddad is a bit weird, or some cousin that really does everyone's heads in, or even your sister or your brother. Um, family, you know, you don't, you, you choose your friends, don't you? But you don't choose your family. But if you're sitting here today and one of your family members betrayed you, could be over money. I've seen that so many times. Could be over something that was said, something where you were slighted. Can I appeal to you? to do what you've got to do to put it right, even if it gets slung back in your face. Because then at least you know you're right before the Lord. Remember, that's how Jesus did it. So give it to heaven. Trust that God will fight for you. Stay gracious. Don't shut yourself off. Leave the lines of communication open. Practical point. Social media. Very simple. Take your issues offline. Don't fight your battles on bookface. Don't do it. It's carnage. Honestly, I, um, I put a picture up on Instagram just before I was about to preach the gospel in Plymouth two weeks ago. Uh, a big men's conference, literally lined up to keynote talk to preach the gospel. And one of my family members 
who is not a Christian at all. In fact, he's the complete opposite. Kicked off at me on Instagram. I couldn't believe it. I thought, oh no. And it was, it was such an inflammatory comment. I thought, because yeah, I've got a fair number of followers there and on Facebook and stuff. This is all going to kick off. And it, my phone's going to be pinging while I'm preaching. And so I thought, this is terrible. So I, I dropped them and I said, what are you doing that for? And they, and, and they text back and I went, I'm at the top of the queue of people you annoy. I said, <laughs> so it's like, close family member. Um, I thought, oh, I didn't, didn't quite know we'd fallen out that much. Um, and it's all about the fact that I'm a Christian. That was it. The temptation, brothers and sisters, to, to use my gift of words and to fight back at that point was quite acute. Don't do it. Take your issues offline. I phoned them up. We had a little chat. We're going to meet for a slur in London. And all should be well, hopefully. If I'd fought back online, it would have been really bad. When people are stabbing you in the back, betraying you. Do not play it out on social media. Next thing. How do you not become a Judas? Now... Um, this isn't going to take very long because it's actually quite simple. Number one, die to uncrucified ambition. Judas betrayed Jesus because he had his own agenda and it wasn't being fulfilled. He thought that Jesus was going to lead some big rebellion. He's going to be this insurrectionist and turn things on its head. And it didn't happen. And he got the hump. And maybe he thought, well, I need to get him out of the way and do my own thing. And He had ambitions for himself and his own dreams and desires. 1 Timothy 4.16 says, watch your own life and doctrine. Don't compare yourself to others. Don't worry about your agenda. True followers of Jesus Christ worry about the honour and glory of God. And they worry about Jesus' honour and fame. Nothing else. Um, so avoid it. It's not about what you want. It's about what God wants. And, and I just want to say something here. Um, you know, this whole thing around comparisons drives people up the wall. Now, I've got mates out there who, man, they are such gifted leaders, communicators, writers, some of whom will be speaking here, guys like Matt Summerfield who have been here, and they just seem to achieve so much. And early on in my Christian life, I look at these guys and think, I wish I could be like you. I wish I could be like you. Or, I wish I could speak at that platform. I wish I was a keynote speaker at that thing. Oh, it does. It just kills you. It's just not worth it. What you've got to concentrate is your own walk before the Lord. And so if you're sitting in this church and there's, you, know, you feel consumed with something, jealousy or position or... You know, just appointed Josh as a leader. It's like, why aren't I a leader? Don't worry about that. Worry about loving the Lord. When God wants to shine a light, he shine a light, wouldn't he? He'll do it in his own time. And I had a salutary wake-up call while I was in Devon. I actually did 20 hours to and from Devon preaching the gospel because my diary is shockingly poor. Can't wait to get a new PA. So I did 20 hours. I went down to... Where was it even? Oh, Plymouth. And then 
then back up, then down to Barnstable. And I think maybe my brain was, you know, I came back to preach here and then go back down again. And I've been all other places in the meantime. And I stood up to preach. And I had brain freeze for the first time in 20 years. And I, 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 I just forgot everything. I couldn't remember my name. I proper shut down. So I'm preaching. I was in this dramatic moment. I made this dramatic big stage thing. And then my brain went, Zzz. the only thing I could think to do was turn it into a dramatic pause. So I stood there looking noble, like the Lord was communing with me, like something special was going to happen. But then it went on and on, and it went on, and like holy terror was feeling the auditorium. <laughs> Because he looked like I was properly having a meltdown. But I kept my face looking like God was speaking to me. To con everyone. Um, and then, when my brain did fire up, I had nothing dramatic to say. <laughs> and just went on with my sermon. Um, now, I'm quite secure as a person, actually. So, when I was driving home, I was having a little chuckle to myself. thought, well, that was a bad one. Proper tumbleweed moment. I haven't had many of those, but it really was. And I felt this little whisper from the Lord. Just reminding you that the anointing comes from me. And then when I got back and I was sharing the story with someone, I think it might have been Neville, said exactly the same. So it's just God reminding you that it's him. I thought, oh, Neville. <laughs> Which is like an affirmation that I'd heard the voice of God. It puts position and who you are, and all in perspective. It is all of God. Everything is of God. All of it. You know, this is like, a, a, this, this little sequence here, this is a blip in the scheme of eternity. Serve the Lord. Love him. Cheer everybody on. Love everybody. It's easy, isn't it? And then you're not going to be a Judas. Our faith is not for our gain or achieve our agenda. It's to worship Christ and make him known. It's as simple as that. Next thing, very briefly, if you want to avoid being a Judas, get good people around you. Little tip in working with people. I trust people who have old friends. Not old, like they just met somebody who's 90. I mean... I trust people who have old friends who are still walking with them through thick and thin. Like some of the people that I'm working with work with for a very, very long time, like in the other ministries I'm doing. I've got friends that go way, way, way back. And they know everything about me. And they're still me mates because I pay them. <laughs> trust people who have old friends. And get good people around you so you'll have old friends one day. Get people around you who hold you accountable, who've got your back, who speak up to you or down to you or whatever. Be in little accountability groups. I think we should all be in those. I'm in three. I need a lot. I need a lot of accountability. <laughs> I'm in three little accountability groups and they're so good. And it stops you from being a weirdo and keep you on a narrow path, keep you in front of Christ. And remember, 
You want to stop being a Judas? Remember that Jesus forgave you and died for you, even when you ignored him. As I said earlier, how amazing is that? You could be sitting here today with all kinds of baggage and weirdness in your heart, and he still loves you. You know, I, I, I find that I find that remarkable because I know what I'm really like. You know what you're really like, right? None of us are brilliant, really. We've all got our weird stuff. The Lord's still smiling on us. Still went to the cross. I, I just find that a beautiful thing. And if you can keep that in your heart, guard your heart. Remember Jesus loves you. Keep cheering everyone else on. Believe the best. Give the benefit of the doubt. You keep your heart in that sweet place. And that's whether you've been betrayed, slandered, backstabbed, whatever. Family weirdness. Keep your heart in a sweet place. And it will also stop you from being someone who also does someone else in. Just keep your heart super sweet.